Welcome to the National Native Network podcast series. Today we're presenting our webinar archive, Healthy and Inclusive Events, presented on December 15th, 2021. To view the webinar video and additional resources, please visit our website, keepitsacred.org, and click the Resources tab and the Webinar Archive tab. Please enjoy our presentation. Hello, my name is Mike Willette with the National Native Network, a program from the, from the Intertribal Council of Michigan. Welcome to the NNN webinar series on cancer risk reduction in Indian country. This webinar is titled Healthy and Inclusive Events. This technical assistance webinar is being hosted by the National Native Network, which offers technical assistance and resources for commercial tobacco and cancer prevention and control throughout Indian Country and the Indian Health Service Clinical Support Center. Your presenters today are Hannah Sch uh, Schlockstein, uh, health educator number three from Juneau, Alaska, Southeast Alaska Regional Health Consortium. And Doug Osborne, from the health educator number three from Sitka, Alaska, also at the Southeast Alaska Regional Health Consortium. We're pleased to offer continuing education credits for participants in this webinar. No commercial interest support was used to fund this activity. This activity is designated one contact hour for nurses and physicians. And to obtain a certificate of continuing education, you must be registered for the course, participate in the activity in its entirety, and submit a completed post-webinar survey. At the conclusion of this activity, the healthcare, the healthcare team will be able to examine the seven C's framework as a prefatory tool in providing a successful health education event employ useful resources that can be referenced when planning a healthy and inclusive event, design an effective process to evaluate previous health promotion work. If you click on the closed captioning button on the bottom of your screen, it'll say CC live transcript and click on show title. You'll be able to display your closed captioning for this presentation. Please type any questions that you may want answered at the end of this presentation into the question box on your Zoom panel. Questions will be answered during the last few minutes of the webinar. And now at this time, here's Doug Osborne. Thanks, Mike. And thanks everybody for having us today. Very excited about sharing this online tool that is free and available to everybody on the webinar today. So I am zooming in from my office in what's currently called Sitka. I am uh, wearing like a charcoal uh, sweater and I have uh, blonde hair and fair skin and I have a little headset on and glasses and I'm in my office. So I have a plant on one side and a door hanger on the other. And I'm gonna uh, turn over to my wonderful colleague in Juneau, Hannah, to do her intro. Hello everyone, my name is Hannah. I go by she, her pronouns. Um, I'm wearing a dark green top with a braid down the side, dark hair, uh, white female, and I've done my best to blur out my office in the background. It's a little messy. And we wanted, thanks Hannah, we wanted to start just by inviting everybody to take a minute to think about uh, where you're at and where we are is in Southeast Alaska, which is on Klinkit Ani. Klinkit is the uh, name of the first people to come here over 10,000 years ago. So we wanna take a moment just to recognize the first people in our area and the first people in your area and start off on a very respectful tone. You can see this is a land acknowledgement that we had in the guide, but the most important thing is that it comes from the heart. And our guide, it ends with the words, thank you and which is Klinket for thanks. 
So thanks everybody for being here. This is our plan. We're together for an hour. We're going to do a little bit of a background on this tool. And then most of it is going to be Hannah and I sharing this model. It has seven different components. They'll start with C, so we call it the seven C's. And we're going to invite people to take this information and try to apply it to some event that you might be a part of. And like Meg said, we'll end with some questions and comments at the end. And you can send your questions to Mike at any point. So where did this come from? Arundhati Roy is an author. And in April of 2020, right after the global pandemic was declared, she said this is beautiful and I think inspiring. Historically, pandemics have forced humans to break with the past and imagine their world anew. This one is no different. It's a portal, a gateway between one world and the next. So the pandemic has affected all of us and there's a lot of loss and there's a lot of anxiety and stress and pain. And then there's also that opportunity. And so we had a group of folks come together from different agencies and different backgrounds. And we had the idea of what's it gonna be like when we come back together in person? What's it gonna be like when we gather? in these hybrid meetings. Are we gonna go back to just the way we'd always done it or can we create something new, something healthier, something more inclusive? So there's a group of folks and you can see on the screen, we had a big team. This was a huge team effort. We had Sika Counseling, which does mental health, behavioral health, substance abuse. SAIL, which works with elders and people with different abilities. SEARCH, which is where Hannah and I work, a hospital. Youth Advocates of Sitka, which specializes in working with younger people. And then our local Chamber of Commerce and Visit Sitka is where this guide is located. In a minute, Hannah's gonna put the address for the guide. You can click on it, it's about 45 pages and you'll be able to see what it is. And then the final partner was outside of Sitka Recover Alaska. And so lots of people, lots of good ideas came together to put together this toolkit. So it is a free online toolkit. There's the site and we're encouraging people wherever you're at to take a look. This was built for if you're having, you're hosting a, a work event or something at home, it could be a kid's birthday party, it could be a big conference. Anytime that you're involved in convening and bringing people together, our hope is that there's something in this guy that'll help you. Planning events can be stressful. It can be a lot on your shoulders. It could be hard. We want to give some support to those event planners. And ultimately, a big part of this was that we wanted to take the most of this opportunity to recreate something new and come back together in a new, healthier way. So lots of activity in the chat. If you want, please take a moment and you can share a, an intro and where you're zooming in from. And just a big thanks to everybody who's joining us from all over the country. Now we did a meeting when our COVID numbers got low. We, we started talking about this in December, 2019. And our goal was that by May of 20, now I'm sorry, December of 2020, our goal was that by May of 2021, if the COVID levels got low, that we'd be able to do a hybrid training, an in-person training. So we did that. We had two trainings. These were some of the meeting agreements when we were in person. And what we did is we gave people the guide and we gave them this book and we gave them an opportunity to work on a real project. And that's what we want to invite everybody to do here. If you'll take a minute and think about an upcoming event, you could use a hypothetical. It seemed to work best for the training when people thought of something they were really going to be a part of planning out in this next year. So think of an upcoming event that you can apply this tool too. And so please take a minute, jot it down on a piece of scratch paper. You can put it in the chat if you want, but think about somewhere where you can bring people together and where you could apply this. Let's take a moment to do that. And if somebody does have an event, they want to put it in the chat, you're welcome to do so. But all of today is by invitation, not demand. So just participate in a way that feels best to you. All right. 
One key point before I turn over to Hannah for our first C is that this is about progress, not perfection. There's no perfect events, just like there's no perfect people. Everybody who's ever tried to bring people together, sometimes things worked as you planned, sometimes there were curveballs, sometimes things didn't happen in the way you wanted. So really this is a focus on improvement and on health and on bringing more people into the mix, but it's certainly not a focus on perfection. So remember that as we move through the guide and I'm gonna turn over to Hannah. Our guide is put out chronologically and it's basically like a checklist. There's a great book called Checklist Manifesto about how outcomes are better when you do have something to give you some guidance. And so we had that in mind. And so the seven C's are put in order. They're all valuable, but we started with this one, continually following public health guidelines because that's a key to events, especially now. Hannah? Perfect. Thanks, Doug. Um, so exactly as Doug said, one of the first decisions you're going to make is how to meet. Um, and none of us are strangers to the current uh, state of the world and know that mitigation strategies can change based on COVID numbers, vaccination status, the ability to do physical distancing and space availability. Um, so when we were running our training programs that Doug is talking about this spring, numbers were incredibly low in Sitka. The vaccine, vaccine was available to all. And so we opted to do an in-person session, but also sort of a hybrid because we did off offer it as a virtual option to those who felt uncomfortable or who were unable to attend. I'm not located in Sitka, so I was able to attend via Zoom, which was really great. Um, what we did and what we would recommend is we met with our local public health uh, nurse to create a mitigation plan. So some of you might actually be public health nurses and you'll have all that information at hand which is great. Um, hopefully you can help your coworkers or folks in your community to plan events that are gonna be safe. But there's also, of course, online resources. Um, the CDC has a great one, as well as websites like plansaferevents.com. That's really useful. It's actually based um, in Alaska for Alaskans, but all the information is really applicable to anywhere. Um, next, uh, yeah, meeting outside is obviously the most uh, safe option, but here in Southeast Alaska, it's wet, it's cold, um, uh, so it's not as available of an option right now. Um, and then also, regardless of whether we're in a worldwide pandemic or not, there are important public health strategies that you can follow and we should be employing during these events, prior, during, and after. So, yeah, you know, covering your sneeze or covering your nose while you sneeze, uh, following food preparation um, guidelines and washing your hands. So um, you can refer to the guide for more information, but so you've chosen where you're gonna do your event and how you're gonna do it. Um, Doug is gonna discuss the next C, which is ensuring your space is accessible for all. Doug? Thanks, Hannah. So we're up to C number two, crafting accessible spaces. And this section was written by SAIL, which stands for Southeast Alaska Independent Living. And they specialize in working with people who may have uh, visibility or limited in hearing and mobility and so forth. And so each of the sections had kind of a specialist. And it was a great learning experience. One of the things that Joel uh, mentioned and that we kind of built this on, this is an important number. Look at this. According to the Centers for Disease Control, a quarter of U.S. adults have some kind of disability. And so when we're thinking about our events, that's a lot of people. We want to have as many people able to participate as possible. So are there things that we can do to bring more people into the mix? One of the things that he mentioned was when you're putting out the invitation, putting out the invite if people have accommodation needs that they can do an RSVP and they can get that word to. So there's tons of tips in the guide. It's one of our biggest sections and this was uh, an important one. Now, one idea that I think is an important principle or foundational idea is this idea of universal design. And a good example of that is curb cuts. So curb cuts are certainly helpful and make sidewalks available if let's say you got around in a wheelchair or a walker, but it turns out that universal design is good for everybody. So if you're walking or you're a mom in a stroller or you're somebody that would be considered able-bodied, you benefit from universal design. Everybody benefits. We have a playground here in town that's ADA accessible, universally designed, so all the kids can play on it. It turns out it's good for kids with all different abilities. It's good for everyone. So universal design. Now, another tip I found interesting is they said, before you do your in-person training, bring a little 
one of these rolling suitcases and just roll around the room and go in and out and just look for the ground and the surfaces. And that was helping with spacing and where to put things and just accessibility. And I thought that was an interesting tip. Now, some of the things that we learned, we learned the hard way. This is a picture from an Indigenous Peoples Day event in Sitka in 2019. And we showed a video. It was a really good TED talk by Nikki Sanchez called Decolonization is for Everyone. And that was sort of the, the main thing with our event was this video. And we had probably 120 people. And we showed the video and thought everything's going well. Afterwards, people are kind of mingling out. Somebody came up to me and said, you know, I bet it was a good video, but I couldn't hear any of it. Because we didn't put the closed captions on, he was essentially excluded from this event. He wanted to hear it. He was there. He was interested, but we didn't put the closed caption. So I appreciate Mike putting the closed caption and making it more accessible to folks. If we had just put that in, he would have been included. So learn, learning the hard way is, is uh, how we did that one. Now, by show of hands, has anybody ever been to some event and you cannot hear the speaker or you cannot hear somebody who, it's clearly they're the one talking, but you can't hear them? Or has anybody ever been and somebody said, I have a big voice, I don't need the microphone? It happens. And what we want is everybody to be included. And so just ensuring that speakers always use a microphone is one idea. Another one that is especially maybe important in these virtual spaces is if somebody was joining this webinar on phone or they were blind or had low vision, when Hannah and I did our description, we try to provide some context of this is where we're zooming from and this is what we look like and this is our setting. So this guide will have, sometimes it'll have laundry lists, sometimes it'll have questions, but this one is very rich in resources and ideas of what you could do to include more people in the mix. So now we wanna take a moment for some quiet reflection and give people a minute to look at this question. We did the first C, which was continually following public health guidelines. And then this next one, this crafting accessible spaces. Think about your event and jot down an idea or two. How could you make it more accessible? You can just think about it. You can write it on a piece of scratch paper, or if you want, you can put it in the chat. But let's take a, a minute and do some individual work. And like I said, feel free to share it in the chat if you would like. We'll take about 30 more seconds and then we're gonna jump into a poll after this. All right, so we're gonna come back to the group level. Thanks for putting in some ideas into the chat. This is all a kind of a pure learning model. So we're learning together. Um, we did wanna do a, a short poll. Uh, Mike, if you could put this in, we did wanna kind of get a temperature check with the group. And the question to think about is thinking about the last five years, what, um, what would be, uh, think about the last three years, let's say of events, here's the poll up here, approximately what percentage of the events and public gatherings have you attended in the last three years that you would classify as being healthy and inclusive? So it's sometime in the pandemic, sometime before, but just roughly, and you have these four choices, we just wanna kind of see um, a little bit of a baseline here. So go ahead and take a moment to vote for that.
And as they come in, Mike, if, if you'll uh, tally these in in a second, give us a update on where the group, it'd be interesting. We have lots of people on the calls from all over. And we're just curious when you think about these things, what? People are still voting. People, it's still coming in so far. So we'll okay. keep it open here for another few seconds, I think. Okay. All right, I think it slowed down so far. So I think we'll go ahead and cut it and then I'll hit end poll and share results. Okay. So it looks like most people were in that 50 to 75%. So it's a mixed bag, certainly. Um, I think our hope would be that if guides like this uh, happened that if we took this poll in a year, those numbers would be up. So thanks everybody for participating and sharing in that. But this is why uh, we put this together. Okay, so we did the first one. And what we did is we, we made these laminated signs um, that people would put around their events. So we'd have this like where the masks and the hand sanitizer and stuff was for the public health. And then crafting accessible spaces would be uh, the next one. And then this third one is about being culturally uh, responsive from start to finish. So when you think through your event, how can you be uh, culturally responsive? And in the guide, and I think that Hannah had put in the chat the link to that, people can uh, check it out if you're interested in seeing that. But it starts with these five elements of cultural competency. So open attitude, self-awareness, awareness of others, cultural knowledge, cultural skills. This is a huge topic. This could be back-to-back -back webinars for uh, five years and we'd still be scratching the surface. So we know this is a big topic, but it's an important one. So we didn't have a ton of resources. We did have some questions we thought might be helpful. And the first one is around that self-awareness. What's my cultural background? And another question that's sort of connected to that is what will come natural to me and feel comfortable as a result of the culture that I was raised in. How can it be culture responsive from start to finish? So when we first start to come together, not as a five minutes before the event or an afterthought, but how can it be culture responsive throughout? Voices, who's represented with the planners, the greeters, the trainers, the performers, other event staff? Another question is thinking about where you're going to be is who lives there. So if let's say you're looking at an event for your department, uh, who are the people that are in that department? Or if it's in your community, one thing we did put is links. The Census Bureau has some interesting information about communities and demographics. And so here's for our little town of Sitka, it's about 8,400 people. And so this is just some of the information that we got from that. But who is it? Who is there? What are the cultures that are there? And another question, how can this serve historically marginalized groups? So I was thinking just this morning when you hear about 1776 and founding fathers and things like that, what groups were not there to make laws and systems? There wasn't any women, there wasn't any black, indigenous people of color. There was the majority, the vast majority of the population was excluded from that. And then thinking just about the history of where you're from, are there groups that have historically not been able to access and, and take part? I remember at a conference, this is years ago, hearing a story of somebody who got accepted in the college of their dreams, basically. And the summer before was in a car crash and then had to use a wheelchair to get around because of their injuries on a, on a long-term basis and showed up for college and they said, we can't take you. You can't go here. We don't have anything set up. So the reason why American with Disability Act is so important is because there's been whole groups of people that have been excluded because of the way things have been set up. So who are some groups that have been historically marginalized? How might we be able to include? And one last thing about this, you know, I, I was, I remember hearing somebody said diversity is about counting numbers. Inclusion's about making people feel like they count. So that idea of how do we welcome, how do we 
receive? How do we make everybody feel like they are very much part of what's going on? Now, one thing we did in the beginning and in the guide is we had an example of a land acknowledgement, but I did want to point out one resource. Uh, Dr. Adrian Keene had a, um, it was like a hour uh, speech. It was excellent. It was uh, from Speak Out and it's called Moving Beyond Land Acknowledgements and Token Representation. And the land acknowledgement is important to, you know, start in a respectful way and to acknowledge, but that's just the beginning. And it was neat to hear all the ideas. And I, I think she's at um, Brown University in higher ed and saying like, yeah, there's land acknowledgement, but then there's colleges saying uh, indigenous kids go tuition free. That's moving beyond a land acknowledgement. A land acknowledgement is something that is just a first step, but you can't check a box and say, we're done on cultural competency. It is just the beginning. And she explains it much more eloquent, eloquently than me. So, so check it out, Dr. Adrienne Keene, moving beyond land acknowledgements. Let's take a moment to have people think about your event, think about the thing that you're interested in doing and applying this to, and just write down a couple ideas. How could you ensure your event's culture responsive from start to finish. Feel free to put that in the chat. Just think about it or uh, write out a piece of scratch paper. Let's take a moment to quietly reflect. All right, we'll take about 30 more seconds. Thanks everybody for writing some ideas in the chat. All right, let's move on to the fourth C. All these start with C and this one is celebrating sobriety and reducing harms. If your event is alcohol-free, there's some built-in advantages. It reduces liability, reduces the opportunity for some kind of a public uh, safety issue. It could be less expensive. There's just less headaches involved. We initially, with this guide, um, wanted to focus on this and did because if it's alcohol-free, it's inherently more inclusive. If you don't drink, or if you're under 21, or if you're sober, you're into recovery. I remember when I quit drinking some 22 years ago, the last thing I wanted to do was go to a place where there was going to be alcohol. And so things that were alcohol-free were more inclusive for, for that group and for a lot of folks. And this kind of big, diverse group of folks that we had working on this said that we have to meet people where they're at. There were some organizations that they'd always had an event. I'm thinking of one that said, you know, we've always had this event here at this restaurant and they do have a bar and some people are drinking and some people are not, and we don't want to give it up and we're not ready to give it up. And so we wouldn't want to sign this policy because of that. And so we do want this to be a small P policy that organizations can, can sign on to and can become part of how they do their events. So we added a section on harm reduction. And so in the guide, you're just going to see a laundry list of if a place says, yes, we're going to have alcohol, there are some things that they can do to reduce the chance of having some of those 
very common uh, problems with uh, binge drinking. And so here's a few of the ideas that are listed, and then here's a few more. Um, so as an event organizer, I think Alcohol Free has all these built-in advantages. And if it's an organization that just, you know, let's say it's the, I don't know, some uh, winter party and they just, you know, whoever's on the board just says, no, we've got to have this. Well, at least there's some things that you can put in place. We do also in this section have some of the cost, the high cost of alcohol um, in our communities. And I just want to end where I started with, it is possible. And I think especially in uh, tribal communities, um, really are leading the way of showing yes that it's 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 possible and doable and preferable in many ways to get together and have fun without alcohol and just enjoy each other's company and not bring all of those uh, issues into the mix. So that is the section on celebrating uh, sobriety. If you make the choice to be alcohol free, it's an easy one. And then if there is alcohol, we'd encourage people to look at some of those harm reduction strategies so that you don't have a problem. And now, I think if people want to just jot a thought in the chat on this, um, we're going to do a quicker one on this and then get right, get to the uh, get to the next C. So we'll just take just a quiet second here for reflection. All right, so we'll do a quick review and then I'll turn it over to Hannah. So we started with this following public health guidelines, connect with your public health nurse. There's lots of resources and lots of things you can do. Uh, the next one is crafting those accessible spaces and making sure that people can get in and out. It's inclusive. So this is the, the second one and we laminate these and give them as a packet for the people who do the training. And then we're looking at this this third one of being culturally responsive from start to finish. And then the fourth C is this celebrating sobriety and reducing harms. We had a graphic artist make all of these. And so when we do events, part of our hope was that we can kind of help change the social norm around events so that some of these things are built in and people are just used to it. They go and they, they see the signs and they kind of know um, what to expect and that it just protects staff and, everybody is uh, a little healthier because of it. Now I'm going to turn over to Hannah, who's going to jump in on this next one, which is so important. It's about caring for the environment. And so Hannah, would you take the next seat, please? Absolutely. Thanks, Doug. Um, I'm also just very impressed with everybody's ideas that they're putting in the chat. So keep that coming. Like we said, it's a peer learning model. So we're learning along with you. Um, so let's see, let's click on to the next one. So the next C is caring for the environment. Um, like Doug said, this was written by Elizabeth Bagley. She um, is a doctor in the community in Sitka and she was able to link climate and sustainability solutions to promote um, human health. In Southeast Alaska, we are home to a bountiful natural environment and we wanna keep it that way. So this set of best practices, uh, it's basically a guidance for how organizers, oops, some top on there, perfect, for how organizers can reduce the carbon footprint um, of their events, incorporate local foods, whilst also supporting local businesses and essentially minimizing contributions to the solid waste stream. So as you can see on the slide, we're talking about venue. If your venue um, runs off of a renewable energy, that's awesome. Um, we don't have tons of those in Southeast currently, although we do have hydroelectric um, electricity, which is really great. But also choosing a venue that um, is easily accessible by alternative transportation. So maybe that looks like um, it's easy to be, there's walking paths nearby, or there's bicycle paths, or um, it's on a bus line. 
So promoting that venue and making it more accessible to everybody to get there and not just people who have access to cars. Also choosing venues with kitchens so you can wash dishes or fill water jugs or um, do any of the things you might need to do if you have an event with, um, with food. Um, here, well, in, in Sitka, not in Juneau, but uh, we have a green lending library and it's really awesome. We used it for the training where you can basically get um, reusable dishware, napkins, plates, everything you could possibly need. And I think they have up to 100 place settings. Um, and so you borrow it and then you return it and it's wash, don't toss. Um, and that's kind of an awesome reusable trick that we have started to employ at our events. Also, if you don't have those things available, try to limit styrofoam, eliminate those tiny coffee stirrers, nobody really needs them anyway, um, and straws. Um, those things are not recyclable. So the last point you'll see there is recommend, we recommend setting up highly visible and well-labeled recycling cans. At our event in May that we gave about this guide, we essentially showed everybody the compost, recycling, and trash bins. And we said, hey guys, our aim is to make sure that we don't fill this up. Um, and so by the end of the event, I think we'd filled those up by 20%. Um, people were taking the right amount of food. They're making sure that they were using reusable cups instead of uh, plastic. Um, and that was really awesome. The cleanup staff actually was really grateful and really impressed with us. So those are some easy changes that you can make. Um, another thing is events are great opportunities to support local fishermen, gardens, beekeep gardeners or beekeepers or producers of any kind. So um, if you have the budget to invest in local foods, we highly recommend it. In Southeast Alaska, we import 95% um, of our food via barge. So a lot of it that finally gets to us, it can take up to seven days, um, is actually a lot less nutrient dense than it could have been if it was grown and um, delivered to us at these events um, within our community. So um, celebrating local foods and offering them at your events uh, through establishment of partnerships is really wonderful. Um, a coworker of mine also told me a story of a conference that she attended where traditional foods were on being highlighted on the menu and there were recipe cards for each of those um, different dishes. So folks could take those home um, and they were able to learn about a culture through food. Um, so 30 to 50% of food um, produced is never eaten globally, which is really sad. Um, so reducing food waste is really important. There's an online tool that we could potentially put in the chat if somebody's able. Um, it's called the Guestimator, and it basically calculates how, many, how much food you're going to need based on the number of people who are going to attend. That's really awesome. Um, we also recommend in the guide to make a plan for leftover food. Maybe that's delivering it to a shelter or somebody who might need it or making sure that your folks that are attending can take it home. Um, and then obviously the first step should have been um, asking attendees to register for the meals. Uh, that makes it so that you're not going to overbuy um, and thus have more food wastage. And then composting. If that's available to you, that's awesome. Here in Juneau, we have an organization called Juneau Compost and they will come by and pick up all of your compost. Um, and then in the spring, I use, I go back to that same organization and I use it as um, dirt for my garden. So full circle, keeping things close and localized is great. Um, another thing like I talked about a little bit in the venue section is um, making sure that you uh, are able to encourage or incentivize active transportation. I've been to an event where they basically gave me a $5 gift card to a local organization because I walked there or I biked there. And in Sitka, um, often people are actually kayaking to work. So that's a really unique way to support folks doing active transportation. So there's a physical activity element as well as a carbon offsetting element. Um, and if folks can't attend, you know, provide video or teleconferencing for those individuals who would prefer not to travel. Um, so I think we'll take just about a minute. We wanna make sure we can get through all these C's uh, to how do you consider how your event might care for the environment and embrace sustainability. And especially if you have um, an event where you can also promote physical activity or wellness, um, what that might look like. So if you wanna put that in the chat, that'd be great. Yep, I, again, you guys have great ideas, encouraging folks to bring their own Tupperware.
take home any food. That's great. All right. Perfect. Reusable water bottles. Great. Um, so the next C, and feel free to continue writing things in the chat. We're just uh, trying to get through stuff and then also be able to have questions at the end. Um, so this next one is really big for events. Um, a lot of folks gather around food. Um, and so we're talking about committing to nutritious food and drink options. Um, the portion, this portion of the guide really is pretty, it's, it's not exhaustive, but it's pretty extensive. And it will supply tools, resources, and guidelines to address nutritious food and beverage options. These principles really align with nutrition guidelines and expert recommendations from the Dietary Guidelines for Americans, Centers for Disease Control, and American Heart Association, as well as we wrote them in conjunction with a nutritionist here at SEARCH. Um, the first portion of the guide um, for this section talks about um, accessibility and inclusivity in terms of healthy foods and beverages. So there's this quote here, it's like, it says accessibility is like a blueberry muffin. You can't bake the berries in afterwards. Um, and so what we mean by that is thinking about these things at the beginning, like we've been talking about, these need to be uh, considerations at the forefront of your mind before you're already at your event. Um, so some of those things for inclusivity um, are transparency. So letting your, your attendees know what options are gonna be available in advance. And this is really great if you have a registration form, um, you can sort of uh, take a quiz or have folks tell you what their dietary restrictions are. And you need to provide for those dietary restrictions. So there's allergies, there's religious considerations, folks are vegan, vegetarian, pescatarian, kosher, halal, gluten-free. There's a lot of considerations that need to be made. And if you can gather that information prior to the event, that's all the better. And then labeling all those foods um, at the event is really wonderful. Um, when we hosted our event in the spring, we had um, we did registration and we had some locally caught salmon. We also had some fruits and veggies that were um, uh, seasonally specific and fresh and delicious. Uh, RSVs peas are huge, like Doug said, says that's really helpful with food. Um, and then just being really respectful by separating animal and plant products, uh, being mindful of different diets. It's just a nice way to um, include everybody. And also in the guide, we don't touch on it here, but there is a consideration for breastfeeding mothers because they do have different dietary um, guidelines that they need to follow. Um, I think a good rule of thumb for healthy foods and beverages is just make the healthy option the easiest or the only option. Um, that can look like honoring your guests and the environment with local and traditional foods um, when possible. Those foods that honor the land um, are really great and folks will feel well loved through that food and welcomed. Um, the CDC recommends ensuring at least half of all food on their plate is fruits and vegetables that are prepared without high amounts of sodium or sugar um, or added fat. And then also making these options look the most attractive and exciting um, and putting them at the front uh, of the table um, makes folks far more likely to grab them over the, the chocolate bar. In the guide, there's also a section about um, portions and considering those, that's really important, cutting sandwiches in half so folks don't feel like they have to take the whole thing. And then there's food wastage, things like that. Um, incorporating uh, whole grains that can be less, pro less processed and more filling than their refined counterparts. In the guide, we also provide um, break and snack ideas because maybe your event isn't actually going to be a full meal. Um, but these are really great to provide to folks, especially if it's going to be over two hours. I think folks need a, a snack after a little while. And then while we talked about alcoholic beverages in the prior celebrating sobriety section, there is suggestions for beverages and how to make them healthy and um, inviting or not inviting, appealing to people so that they choose the healthier option. Um, and then I just wanted to highlight, uh, this is something that was put together um, by the Search Health Promotion Grant folks, um, Tammy Meisner, who's on the call. Thank you very much for doing this. Um, and it was through, through the National Native Network. So I believe this is online on the NNN website, um, but we just sort of revamped it a little bit. And it's a really great guide to promote awareness of the physical, mental, 
and emotional benefits of harvesting and eating traditional foods. This is very specific to Southeast and the Pacific Northwest. So if you're in those locations, feel free to log on. Um, I have a copy of it here now and it's really beautiful. Oh, it's blurring out. Anyway, it's beautiful. You can find it online through a PDF, um, but it's um, a really great resource as well. Um, I think we are running a little bit low on time, but if you, I've seen folks uh, putting things in the chat already about, and something you can do um, yourself is just thinking about how you're going to commit to healthy and nutritious foods and beverages at your next event. So we'll move on from there. Um, the last C of the guide um, is clean air. So um, we are talking about, and this, again, this document on the far right that you see here is something that we laminate and we tend to put at the entrances. It's um, focusing on, this section is focusing on oops, reducing the usage of commercial tobacco products. And I do want to be clear here, the guide is in reference to um, commercial products, specifically ones that are manufactured by companies and for recreational and habitual use in cigarettes smokeless tobacco and other products that are mass produced and sold for profit. So that is what this guide is in reference to. Um, but clean air is so important to a healthy and inclusive event. There's no safe level of exposure to secondhand smoke, which can cause stroke, lung cancer and coronary heart disease in adults. Um, so hosting smoke free and commercial tobacco free events can offer many benefits from the protection of public and um, including the protection of public and environmental health. And you're gonna be modeling a positive healthy event for attendees, vendors, volunteers, and contractors who are all there. Um, and hopefully we'll move forward in the other aspects of their life and demanding smoke-free events. Um, and also in choosing to be smoke-free, your organization can really support those who, are, who have quit or are attempting to quit, as well as creating a more welcoming environment for children, um, those who are immunocompromised, individuals and those who are at higher risk of um, for the harmful effects of commercial tobacco exposure. So within this guide, um, it contains clear air, clean air resources, as well as a policy. And this is just a screen print or a screenshot of that. Um, but it is extensive in the guide. And this policy can be used to promote a healthy and safe um, event for folks for a smoke free event. Um, you're welcome to use this policy for your organization, and we have health educators listed in the guide who actually can assist you if you'd like to pass a smoke-free policy at your workplace or um, elsewhere. The quotes that you saw on the, the previous slide are actually from the Southeast Alaska State Fair that went tobacco-free in 2019. Um, so this policy has uh, been used and is being implemented um, in spaces like that. Um, Let's see, so um, how will you commit to clean air at your event? If you wanna type in the chat um, what you are hoping to do and what you think this guide will help you in doing in terms of um, committing to clean air for yourself and others. Doug, if you have anything to add, please feel free. Oh, just that the commitment and having this as a policy for your workplace. This is just how we do events. We saw a lot of advantages to having it as a policy. It makes it more sustainable and it just becomes a way that people do business. So we had our first group was one of the people who helped write it, Youth Advocates of Sick. I went to their board and their board signed it and it's a policy. And then they just have these, if they have in-person events and they put them up. And so the policy and the sample of that is on that online guide. We just encourage people to think about taking it to the group and make it official. Perfect. Yeah, I like that folks are choosing smoke-free um, venues. That's great. Um, the last part of the guide is actually mostly just resources. So there's an event planning checklist. Um, I, I know this is a wordy slide, but um, we basically go through from start to finish what you're going to be needing to do in planning an event um, and considerations you'll need to make from marketing and advertising to registration um, to setting up presenters. And then we also have um, a bit of uh, events do's and don'ts. Um, again, this is very wordy, but we have compiled lots of things from our institutional knowledge about what we can do um, well and what we shouldn't do at all um, and things that we have learned um, over 
many years of all of us putting on events. So some of those small things are having a checklist, include well-timed breaks throughout, um, doing a walkthrough, and then things like don't leave things until last minute and um, don't overlook safety of your attendees. So this is again in the guide and there's far more um, information there as well. And then um, the last portion that we think is really important um, in throwing an event is gathering feedback about that event itself. So we put together both a self-evaluation checklist as well as a participant evaluation checklist. Um, ideally, you're going to have an event and you're going to be tired, or not ideally, you probably will be tired though after having an event and putting so much effort into it. And we think it's really important to not forget to do a self-evaluation and talk about things that went well, the highlights, what didn't seem to work, what lessons had been learned, and what you can do in the future. So there are two different evaluation and debrief lists. The one is for on the left is for yourself as an event planner, and the one on the right is for participants. Um, so you're gathering feedback. It's often quantitative for our events, but I'm sure you could add a qualitative aspect to it. Um, and those are other questions that we think are really important to ask our participants and our attendees and how we can improve. Um, also at the end of the guide, this is a commitment page. This is something that we felt was really valuable and important because we didn't want to put together this entire guide um, and it just live on somebody's laptop. We wanted folks to commit to the guidelines and, in, and including them and using them at all of their upcoming events. So to us, commitment is what turns a promise into practice. Um, so when we did our training in the spring, we had all of the folks who attended um, look at this commitment page. And actually, I think we had four different organizations return it to us. Um, they'd had their organization um, at board meetings talk about it and then sign on to it. And this doesn't mean that you're always going to be doing everything every single time correctly um, from this guide, but it means that you're going to try. So we thought that was a really important element. Um, and I was going to turn this over to Doug to ask any questions. Yeah, thanks, Hannah. And right now we do have um, about uh, nine minutes left for any questions and comments. If people have a comment, you could put it in the chat. But uh, Mike, I think some questions came in to you. Um, so please type your questions to Mike. And Mike, if you want to launch into some that have already come in. Well, I'm looking at the Q&A box right now. I don't see any questions that have come in there yet. Um, but it looks like that there might be a couple of questions in the uh, question box. Um, so we do have a couple of minutes where we can do this. If we don't get the time to ask your question aloud, um, Doug and Hannah's information is displayed on the screen right now. So feel free to jot down their email address and you can fire an email to them. Um, this person here says, with all the special considerations, I'm wondering how you go about notifying and making these things uh, the norm. If I tried to put all these into place at once, almost nobody would read it because there's so much. I'm wondering if there's, if those personal signs placed throughout the venue are really a great way to bring awareness and shift the new cultural expectations. Yeah, I think one of the biggest keys is you're right. There's so many individual differences and preferences and you cannot be everything to everyone. So with that in mind, one of the key, key things that I took away from this was in your promotional to really have an explicit invitation for people to tell you what their accommodation needs are. One thing that Joel works at Sale, he said, yeah, people are good at advocating for themselves, but sometimes they're not really given that opportunity. So I think with all of these differences, so let's say I have a, a staff meeting and there's 15 people, instead of just saying, hey, let's show up here, to put in that one or two sentences that says, if anybody has any um, you know, dietary restrictions or accommodation needs, please let me know. And then I find out ahead of time instead of finding out at the event. So that's one, one key thing there. And I think with the putting, the putting the signs up, the key one was at that entrance and exit, having that this is a, a smoke-free, because a lot of times the, the venue itself will be uh, tobacco-free. But this is the one that we just put by the door and it's just a reminder that we wanna keep the entryways clean and we wanna make sure that the smoke's not coming. For the table where you'd have food, that's where we put the nutrition one. For the place where there was like the compost bin and the recycling, that's where we had the, 
the, uh, the sustainability, the caring for the environment one. So it's just sort of a little bit of a prompt to the organizers. And our hope is that as we continue to learn and grow and do this, that it would become the norm, not because we've done it once or twice, but doing it repeatedly. And then one thing that Hannah mentioned too on the evaluation, sometimes at the end of an event, the last thing you wanna do is take time to rehash it and think about it. Me and Hannah did a program that ended probably a month ago and one of our key people wasn't there for the debrief and we still did the debrief and got a lot of valuable info from that. So I did wanna mention that too, that with our model, you're thinking about it ahead of time and then you do do the evaluation and you may find like, well, the science didn't really add much and it didn't really help us and let's not worry about that part of it. Um, but the thing that we do think works is just that continual evaluation. That's a good question though, thanks. All right, um, I still don't see any questions in the question box to read aloud yet. So if you have any questions, feel free to post them in the question box. Um, otherwise, uh, just as a note and a little plug, um, next month is Cervical Cancer Awareness Month, Cervical Health Awareness Month. So the National Native Network is going to be doing two webinars next month. It's a two-part session in partnership with Great Plains Tribal Leaders Health Board, uh, January 19th and January 26th. And then with the Polo Health Law Center, we're going to be talking about a smoke-free tribal housing policies toolkit on March 30th. So there's some upcoming events coming up. And we will be posting an archive of the webinar at our website, keepitsecret.org. And there's the information there. Um, let's see here. Just look and see if there's any more questions. Um, this person says, uh, how would you encourage mask wearing at your next event without causing any issues? Yeah, it was interesting. When we had this training, we had somebody who was doing Grand Camp, which is um, a big event that was in Juneau. And where we left was talking with the public health nurse and really letting the conditions on the ground and the public health guidelines being your guide. Um, so we've had people where you've had outdoor venues is certainly an option. And if it's indoors and the, 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 the COVID conditions say that it's, it's masking and distance indoors that we would encourage people to just follow those. We've also talked about having masks available. And then we had somebody who did an event, it was called Porch Fest. And one of the, in this long conversation, you know, there's no easy answers, but they had put a logo and made a really neat looking reusable uh, mask. And that that was one thing that um, would encourage some uh, mask wearing without um, causing issues because it was such a neat design and people wanted wanted to have that and wear that. So those are a few of them. It, it is, um, um, uh, you know, there can be difference of, of opinions on this, but for people that have passed it as a policy, it almost gives a little bit of a, um, it gives, it gives the, the greeter to say, well, we have our, our board has passed healthy inclusive policies and the, the public health conditions on the ground say that we need to do this with masks and that it sort of makes it a little more clear for everybody. So I think that's part of the answer too is, is that if you, if you took this to your board or your um, organization and they signed on, that part of that would be that you'd have to follow the public health guidelines in order for it to be a healthy and inclusive event. I also think um, setting expectations if your event, um, if you're marketing for it and it's a flyer or if you're collecting registrations, I think it's important to let folks know that what the expectation is going to be, just so it's easier to reinforce in the future. Um, I think that's really beneficial and also I think a lot of people um, are more likely to come to events if they know what the public health standards and expectations are. Um, I also wanted to mention, um, I think that's a great question, and there's lots of other things that we could do as well, but I also wanted to mention that we're in the process of trying to make this guide a more location neutral, because if you look at it, it's very Sitka-specific. Sitka there's lots of um, resources for, and, um, for Sitka and Southeast in general, and what we'd like to do is potentially make it something that is editable for you or your organization to adapt um, more specifically to where you're located. Um, so circle back around with us if we have our contact information somewhere. Um, we are working on that currently. Um, and I think that could be a really valuable tool to folks. 
To view the full webinar video and additional resources, please visit our website, keepitsacred.org, and click the Resources tab and the Webinar Archive tab. Thank you for listening to this Webinar Archive presentation from the National Native Network.